here again and also phil lot hello phil hello you're I'm in here los again angeles. you're in los angeles and i'm in Buckfield. it doesn't sound as good does it it just doesn't it's not the same but anyway we've got a good one this week i think i think the listener is going to enjoy this one don't you i do actually really do so who have we got spill the beans we have uh actually i'm going to say it's a friend of mine he's also separately to be a friend of mine He's a fantastic composer called Scott Salinas. Fantastic composer in America. If you are not super familiar with some of his work, you have heard it, I promise you. It's been on loads and loads of uh, movies and documentaries and films. Everything from Cartel Land, which is that amazing documentary about uh, the drug cartels, uh, this the Sea of Shadows, um, which is the uh, nat- uh, natu- uh, natural history documentary about the illegal trade in a fish <laughs> well, I can't remember his name but we had to cut that out but, um, he's also done I'm not going to go through the whole thing no. I go through the whole, should I give a few more yeah, give me a few more titles yeah. alright here we go um, The Ivory Game for Netflix he's also done Earthrise amazing documentary fantastic documentary called Lance which if you haven't seen it about Lance, Lance Armstrong and then he's most recently He's uh, just done a documentary, massive documentary on HBO called Tiger, about Tiger Woods. Mm. But in the meantime, he also did The Banker, which uh, fantastic film. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Right. I thought it was, a, I mean, it's a, I, I loved talking to Scott. I think he's, um, he's given us some real insight into how he composes and actually his insight into other composers' scores, I thought was really fascinating. It's a reason, and uh, I met him professionally first before he became a friend, but it, through through just listening to documentaries on television, I just one day saw one of them, one of the documentaries he'd made, and just reached out. And sometimes that works. And he's done a few many shows with us right now. Um, and just the way he works is, it's just very intuitive, very thoughtful, and breaks it all down in a way that you go, "Oh, I get it. I didn't realize that's why I like that piece of music." I didn't realize that's how that piece of music was working. And yes. so it's at once sort of super emotional, but also incredibly thoughtful and technical in a way that is, you know, as you would expect from a craftsman. Yeah, I learned a lot, actually, listening to him. I really did learn a lot. But, uh, okay, so what happened was we um, dropped in, well, we dropped you into the conversation. We were just actually talking about uh, American Beauty, the score by Thomas Newman. Uh, which um, we have a fascinating discussion on. So there you go. Have a listen. Hope you enjoy it. And we'll see you next time. Say, um, no, don't do it. Just say bye. <laughs> Just say bye, Phil. God, say it. Bye. Phil. <laughs> I literally grew up in that cinema, actually. Uh, my parents took it when I was barely two years old. So literally growing up in the cinema. I wow. am the kid from Cinema Paradiso. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Could have put that one on there. That one almost made the cut. Yeah. Yes. That's incredible. 
I can't I can't go too near it too often because it just makes me blub too much. I just kind of and we we had this conversation uh, recently, Phil and I. And as soon as I start talking about things that make me cry in movies, I start crying. It's a I don't know. Maybe I need. Some... I'm a big crier. Yeah, it's a nightmare, isn't it? So, um, any of the scores you sent us cry worthy? Yeah. Uh... Ooh, uh, the, for me that Angela Andress is mm. it, that uh, Th- Thomas the Thomas Newman one. Yeah. Uh, he cracked the code. I mean, now we've it's such a thing that we've heard so many times now because that became sort of the gold standard for emotion immediately. But uh, yeah, I just the first time that that came out, I was like, "Wait, oh, okay, you can do that." Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, we can we can do emotion that way. Yeah, it's you funny. Know, <laughs> when I saw the list, I was thinking, oh, "I'm surprised it wasn't a Shawshank cue." But then I thought that perhaps that would be your answer. That is the idea. This is the this is the genesis of the Thomas Newman sound. Yeah, I think this is where it all starts. There's stuff before this where he, he's doing. Well, I think he did Police Academy, but where he <laughs> let's skip that one. But he did this one called Unsung Heroes. I think it's called where uh-huh. he's doing all this weird. He's already got the weirdness happening. He's he's recording George Deering on guitars, but running them through a half speed tape machine and. And he's starting to really get that weirdness happening, but I feel like his emotional vocabulary actually is the thing that Mm. puts him in a class all of his own. The way he deals with complex emotion, which in my opinion, the way he deals with it is by creating sort of music that's like emotional stem cells. And it differentiates into whatever it needs to differentiate in the co- in the context that you put it in, if that makes any sense. It doesn't. It's. I wouldn't say it's neutral because it's not. It's not safe. It's emotionally charged. Is is hmm. stuff, but it's kind of like whatever you want it to be is what it is. Uh, and I just. I I always. I, he's the master of that. And I don't know anyone that was doing that before that, that I was aware of. And then that sort of became the gold standard for, you know, how to, how to pull at the, the new way to pull at the hard strings. Cause I think we were pretty maxed out on the old way, which is maybe like, you know, maybe like that Morricone piece, you know, mm-hmm. that once a, that's the old way to pull it, which is awesome. I love that thing. But it's it's pretty cool because those are sort of trying to do a similar job and uh and uh i feel like that was the thing that thomas newman did is he he kind of reinvented that and then it's, he's been doing that mining that for a long it, time it's interesting because <laughs> is that the first of his scores that had that particular sound to it i seem to think his, his scores before this i'm no expert as i keep hastening i say keep pointing out but his scores before that were a lot more conventional in their sound than the american beauty seemed to be a bit of a watershed for him yeah i think unsung heroes was in this direction but nobody saw that and then police academy i have a feeling was probably, no, probably pretty not. just straight yeah. ahead in the in the in the tradition of his family like uh hmm. david newman or some you know like he was kind of writing in that like you know this is my lineage like the more like a whatever you know traditional 
film score. Still very competent, but not of trying course. to like necessarily push the boundaries in any way. No, and this broke out into the mainstream as well, didn't it? Which film scores sometimes don't. It broke out. You know, people would know what it was, even people who weren't movie fans or. Right, right, right. And it was a hard one for me to choose because it's been in so many, you know, as a composer, I've run into this in so many temp scores in the edit where this is in there. Not necessarily this cue per se, but the more bouncy ones that are full of energy and, uh, and, and you know, I forget the names of them, but um, those are in every single documentary mm -hmm. temp score for about 15 years. So it's a hard score for me to choose from that reason because um, there's a part of me that if you say American Beauty, I want to vomit <laughs> just as a reaction. <laughs> I have a personal vocational reaction to all the times I've been confronted with it. But there's a reason for that. And I do remember this. This score kind of just blew my mind. It made me feel also personally as someone who is going to be pursuing this field it made me feel like there was room for new ideas and new, you know, it made me go like, oh, wow, okay. There's yeah. a whole world out there. That, so aside, know, and aside from the kind of the, the orchestration and the, the, the particular Thomas Newman sound that we're now very familiar with, what else was he doing in that soundtrack that you remember going, that's new? Um it's also the aesthetic mm -hmm. the spotting aesthetic when, and when you know when to play against things and like also like if you like stuff is incredibly layered actually like if you were to look at how many tracks some of these cues are you wouldn't believe it because he'll take like he, he would take like 15 layers to make a thing that just sounds like a little ambient pad. But if you break that thing down, there is a million things going on in there. And I, I just, it kind of had a craftsmanship and an attention to detail. And it was like, whoa, it, it was almost like, like if like in fashion or something, if everyone was, you know, doing something for a long time and then suddenly, suddenly someone came out in like flip flops and, and a parka, I don't know. It was just like, <laughs> wait, what the heck? Uh, for mm. me, it had that effect on me. And you could see a lot of the other things that I choose might fall into, or might fall into a more traditional, you could call traditional. So I, I, I love that stuff. But what do you think but was the Tom, catalyst at that point for that, for that departure that change, that that pushing the—I mean, the risk of uh, you know, torturing a, 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 you know, pushing the envelope of making something so unique. Why? What? What was it about that film? Was it the film? Do you think? Do you think it was the director? I think it's the think film. It was, I know? think it's the film, and the yeah. and, and the director. I mean, mm. I, but particularly the film. Like, if you watch the film, you know, I have a friend of mine that we were just somehow got on the not a composer the film and he said he watched it again recently and he says the film doesn't age well really hmm. and i th i thought that was really interesting i don't actually necessarily agree with that sentiment per se but it's an interesting point of view which if we look at it differently because that's kind of a judgment if we look at it differently it does sort of say that movie much like a, a pulp fiction or something 
it really is like a feels like a marker in a, a point in time mm. and that movie just forget about the music changed changed things it's so incredibly awkward and strange and obviously the the ending and as very you know it was very uh provocative at the time and you know now the whole kevin spacey thing blah 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 complicates mm -hmm. it to a degree but uh putting that aside i think that i almost feel like the uh, there's a couple of you know, there's a few films where it's almost like if you didn't have this this score the film would have failed it's that important like i think he was responding to something that he understood intuitively that he had to go to a place mm. that made people comfortable uh, accepting that material and, and making it through to the end. Because the film is kind of like a, I want to say a, a farce or it's a social critique. It's a lot of things more than whatever the story is. It's like a right. critique on society, you know? And I think that that score makes it not just palatable, but, uh, really potent. And I don't know if I can't even picture another score. It's one of those ones where I can't even imagine another score. And that's the sequence, yeah. I believe, with the, um, um, uh, yeah, where it's, it's the sort of creepy sequence, isn't it? I believe so, yeah. yeah. And, and that's probably the most, ironically to our conversation, it's probably the most, quote unquote, traditional Part. cue or okay. thing in, in the score. But even even that, now when we listen to it it kind of, it's that style has been sort of done so many times that i think we forget like that piano part is like it's like hanging on for dear life like there's absolute bare minimum amount of notes in that part to convey what's going on there melodically and harmonically like it's mm -hmm. almost like there was a more complex piece and then someone came in with an eraser and took away a bunch of notes and mm. 
because it's a, that's a waltz. Oh, that right, little piece right. of music, that's a waltz. It doesn't feel like a waltz because mm-hmm. the the waltzy things have been understated and removed. But like, and then it's on this bed of like emotionally charged, you know, liquid molasses that the more you dig into it the more ingredients there are but it, you don't it's not even you're not even really paying attention to it it just it just sweeps you away and it's i don't know it, it just sort of to me it was like oh we can get at emotion not just through melody which this has but through really interesting textures that uh, maybe they're orchestral, maybe they're not. A little bit later from that excerpt, mm. some strings come in and it, it, it sort of takes off. But still, like, what is, like, I love a score where I'm like, what the heck is that? Great. It's right. instrumentation or sound, you know? And this one it has that in spades. And um, and even uh, score other scores that are very, uh, you know, just using the orchestra, the ones that attract me are the ones where they still manage to make me go, what is that blend or what is that doubling? Mm. Or how, so, did, how did he get that sound, you know? Because actually we're um, seeing that more and more, aren't we? We're seeing a lot more um, interesting scores now, you know, like for Joker and for Arrival, which we'll yeah. come to later, and, you know, all that kind of stuff, which are not in any way traditional film scores. So there's all, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a chance that that pushing of the envelope that he did then has led us to accept scores like Joker and things like that. Maybe that's overselling it a bit. Go ahead. I was going to jump in and say I think that that is, I will admit to having the pleasure of having worked with Scott many Mm. times now, and it is definitely something that you you do. I mean, I'm not saying you've taken it from Thomas Newman, but I'm just, it is something that, to create something that's so surprising and makes you question where it came from and what's it actually doing, it's a huge, genuine pleasure to kind of hear you, hear you kind of f- figuring it out and break yeah, it Yeah, it's a fun process. You construct. So now we're going to listen to um, some of John Williams' score for uh, Catch Me If You Can, which is one of the ones that you chose. Now, this is, um, for my money, one of John... Again, it's, a, it's, a, it's not, not entirely a John williams score, is it? No, it's actually my favorite score of all time and my favorite score of his, obviously, by mm. process, whatever, by logic, <laughs> whatever the word is. <laughs> but it, it, yeah, I mean, I remember the first time I heard it, it was, uh, yeah, really, st- I mean, it stands out. Um, when did we see it? Oh, actually, we saw it together, Phil. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. We saw it at the BAFTA screening in, um, in London. And That's yeah, it, as soon as it starts, it's just uh, carries the film instantly, doesn't it? And you don't have to have marimba or vibraphone in your score for me to like it, but I am just noticing it seems to be <laughs> something that is in a lot of these, which I hadn't thought about until just now. But given his wealth of <laughs> film music, why this one? Why is this one your favorite? Uh, so when I hear, uh, as a composer, when I hear, as a film composer, when I hear a, a score that I really, really like or love, it usually falls into one of two categories, either sort of like, oh, that is so clever. I wish I thought of that. Kind of like someone who outwits you at a party and you find them very charming. Or 
something that I just feel like is just way beyond some something I would ever say or think of. You know, it just it hits me in a way that it's like that's not clever. That's just like maybe like some you know rocket science going on there and this score in particular for me the first time i heard it it just felt like something i would never have thought it, it was beyond like hey that's clever it was like i don't think in a thousand years i would have thought of this and and i love it there's a million things i wouldn't have thought of that i don't like you know what i mean <laughs> and it just the, the feeling was just like it's the craftsmanship and I, you know, I, I'm partial to jazz personally because I, I studied a lot and I, and I still play it and stuff, but it was just kind of like, it's all of his stuff is virtuosic, but this one was virtuosic in a way that made me kind of go like, uh, like, I don't know, I can bring it back to fashion again, like some just ridiculous couture dress with a thousand beads on it, but that is actually really beautiful and not just some weird alien looking you know i just it just hit it's like a 10 out of it in every mm. category in every olympic category i feel like that when the judges lift their cards it's a 10 on style it's a 10 on innovate you know it just it's just tens across the board for me it's just interesting and, uh, why he why why and why he thought the material required that kind of score that's kind of interesting because he sort of you know, he's the god of gods and all that kind of stuff. I fully understand. But, you know, he does tend to have... Sorry, it's a bit dismissive. But, well, I mean, he does <laughs> he, he does often have a certain type of score that goes with a certain type of film, doesn't he? You know, you've got your bingly-bongly, Harry Pottery, Witches of East Wiki, bingly-bongly stuff. And then, yep. you've got, and then you've got the... <laughs> stuff, you know, for the for the American dream. And... and but this one seems to come out of out of out of nowhere in particular for for him. I mean, I think it has to do with his background, if I had to guess. As uh, Henry Mancini, he, he was his piano player in a lot of those recordings. So if it, this has a to me a uh, what's the classic? Uh, why can't I think of that? What Harry Ma Henry Mancini school? Yeah, the, like the, Pink, the, Panther the, the or, Pink Panther or uh, Pink Panther. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah Pink Panther. Yeah. So like, this has the. I think this is like. It's got 15% Pink Panther in it, but then it's done in the classy John Williams. Like, mm. I can later conduct this for the Boston Pops in a tuxedo and no one's going to laugh, you know, <laughs> quality to it. But I, I think this is – sometimes I think of some of his scores not as not as an FU because I know he loved Mancini, but a little bit of like, oh, really? Here's actually – you know, like here's the John Williams <laughs> version. And so this score for me has that component. Uh, like for instance, it has an alto saxophone solo. The guy's a friend of mine, actually. He's playing. I've recorded him a million times. But he, Dan Higgins. But that alto saxophone solo in the piece, if if you're kind of a musician, it sounds like a an improvisation, like a jazz improvisation. It is written down note for painful note, and in in these Hollywood scoring sessions these guys are so good they just show up and sight read mm. he gave dan that part two weeks before right dan doesn't need that dan's one of the best sight but i'm just saying like this is there's no like like you're gonna work on this you there's know nothing, what I mean? right. nothing random and about I, it 
No, and that's the thing about, I love about John Williams that I, I have a lot more in my process. I have a lot more room for improvisation and happy accidents. And oh, look, these two things collided. I never would have known that would have happened. John Williams, everything in his brain, mm. and there is no. I mean, if there is, it's very, very, very small. I mean, the one thing about his process that may allow for that is when he's on, he takes a long time to record. And when he's on the stage, he'll make changes. And if he doesn't like a cue, he goes home and he rewrites a whole brand new cue <laughs> and shows up the next day with something completely like someone was telling me some stories on one of these Star Wars films. Like no one was even complaining about the cue. He just decided he didn't like it. And he went home and wrote like a, you know, eight part fugue or something mm. for, the, for the cue the next day. So he does have, it's not that he can't reevaluate what he's doing and make changes but generally speaking his ideas are 100% fully formed whereas I, I don't operate that way that's another thing that for me puts him in this kind of uh, rocket science uh, virtuosic pedestal is just what his brain can hold all at once my brain needs I need to play you know what I mean and and <laughs> I'm like in the sandbox playing with like toys and and you know he's like designing something like an architect i don't think it actually matters you know uh, that's why i love composing is because it's not a competition of what you can do in real time like maybe being like a a jazz performer it's like that's like almost being like an athlete mm, like right. how high can you jump right. how fast can you play what can your processor do in real time uh, in composing like it's just like when you when you decide to put your pencil down where do you land and if that takes you 10 years or 10 minutes, nobody cares. No. Right. I mean, I guess uh, John Williams and Mancini and the the fathers before, that, before them came from the studio system. So they were having to churn out a, you know, a movie a week or something crazy like that. So I guess that discipline was something that they were just born into. And it's sure the fastest were... way to write. It's, I mean, now the way we work, not to get bogged down, but, you know, uh, it's a it's a crutch and a tool, but we essentially have to. If even if you're working with an orchestra, you have to pre-simulate everything, get it approved, and then you go record the orchestra. And it's it's still way better, but there's no big surprises there. In fact, right, you mean you're literally I recording? Won't. Just for folks who don't know, you're literally talking about people. You, you have to record with as electronic synth, sort of. Orchestra. Exactly, you have to simulate the idea, and then you. It's so it it's it's completely formed and that process of simulating an idea is much slower even if you're fast at it than than writing an idea on a page and even right. if you want to like develop a theme it's much easier to go oh well what if i took these notes and put them over here and then, you know it's actually the best way to still the best way to make music if you can would be just to sit there with a piece of paper and then you know hand that off to an orchestra and then see what happens. And you know, that is the best, that is the fastest. It's just in our world, it doesn't work anymore. That setup really, it's very rare. Like even John Williams on some of his last films working with JJ Abrams, he had to hire a mock-up artist. He had to hire a guy to take his scores, run off on a computer and simulate them to play them for JJ Abrams. He wow. just wasn't, you know, so there's good and the bad with that. The good of that is it means we can, okay, now that we're in there, we can play around and very speed things and mess around with different sounds. And, and, and there's a recording, producing, 
sound design you'll hear that in like something like Arrival, you know, or like you said, The Joker. Hmm. So I think that, you know, people who look at that as an opportunity tend to excel. I mean, I also do crazy things like if I'm working with someone for the first time, I'll sometimes just spend my own money and go record some players anyway and just present my first ideas as fully formed because I don't want an idea to get rejected because I couldn't get there with the right. with the limited tools that I have to express it. You know? Also, the other thing that you were talking about earlier was the, the temp score, which is a blessing and a curse, right? Yeah, I mean, the way I look at temp scores, because they're there and they're necessary, we're not going to get away from them. There's, there's two ways to deal with it. The most preferable way is let the temp score be you. In other words, get on the project so early, <laughs> script stage, you know, or if it's a doc, whatever, early and start writing stuff, start making stuff so that when they finally get down to the edit, when they're reaching for their bin of things to choose from, it's already original music that could be drawn from. It's never going to, it's probably never going to get you all the way there. I mean, Hans actually did it with Inception. That's like a classic example. He wrote all the mm -hmm. music before or most of it and recorded it, I think. I don't know. But so, mm -hmm. uh, Brokeback Mountain is done that way. So, um, then there's the hybrid of that that only gets you so far because you only had so much time but you can still also then curate the tent so if i don't have time to make to make it i can say well here's my vision board or you know like you like an interior decorator who would come in with their you know their collage or you know or like you know here's these i always say here's these like italian tiles that you can't afford but here's these ones from you know home depot that look almost <laughs> the same that you know, whatever, so you, so that you have an influence so that you don't just show up to a film and it's just filled with a temp and you didn't have any influence over that. That's the hardest situation. Uh, so I just try to get in there early and shape it with original stuff, maybe stuff in mind or, or who knows, Angela undress. Like I don't, I don't actually have a problem with having other composers music in the temp. I feel like more information is more information. We're all adults here. You know, mm. and um, in your... the end, the way you beat a temp, mm. let's say a, a scene where it was cut to this piece of music, the music is a 10 out of a 10 anyway, and the scene is now a 10 out of 10. The, the only way to beat that when you're confronted with that is to do the thing that the temp cannot do, which is to relate to the rest of the score. So the way you beat a 10 out of a 10 temp in a scene is you have to have themes that you've developed and now those themes logically and make sense that X theme should be in that spot. And, and then the temp can serve as a inspiration for instrumentation or tempo or feel. But like once the director is in love with the themes, they're going to actually find that temp to feel like kind of like an anomaly, like, mm -hmm. you know, they're there and it, they'll, their love for it will start to fade. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> and then you can beat it. Not necessarily you're going to write a better piece of music, but you can beat it in the context of the film and, uh, you know, how it relates to everything and how it functions.
it's the cat and mouse right and and it's jazz and he's making up as he goes along yeah he's improvising i guess well no yes he well, is improvising or he's not improvising? It sounds like it. Oh, you mean the character? No, like the character, The character yeah. is improvising. Yeah. yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense, too. Because, yes, he has no... I mean, that's what's br- partly brilliant about DiCaprio's performance, isn't it? Is the fear behind his eyes the whole time that at any moment he's going to... In fact, he... Well, as actually one of the themes of the film is that he actually wants to be caught, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and it's one of those annoying films that you... When it's on the TV, you think, oh, I just watch this bit because I like this bit. Oh no! I just watch this bit because I like this bit. I just and you end up sitting and watching the whole blinking movie because it's so compellingly put together. Okay, so uh, what's next? Uh, we've got some James Horner from A Beautiful Mind, which could be described mm. for me, but it isn't in this instance. <laughs> so let me play that. Actually, here we go. We'll, we'll have a bit go. of that first, and then we can discuss it. Thank you. 
the guy who's not afraid of some chords. No. Uh, you know, full disclosure, I uh, went to Princeton where this takes place, but I don't think that's the reason why I like it. It might be, secretly be, but uh, I... Uh, one of the things that always impresses me about a score is when the composer can, in a very short amount of time, establish the world of the, of, of the movie. Hans Zimmer isn't on this list, but I think he is probably the number one master of that, of like... For sure. 25 seconds of score and the whole world has been established, whatever it is. Uh, and I feel like a kaleidoscope of mathematics. I mean, this is about a, a guy who's uh, a math genius, but is also suffering from mental illness. And I just, what I remember with the, fir the first time I, I saw this movie and heard this music, I just remember thinking, that's exactly the right mm. way to approach this. It's beautiful, it's complex and it's bold and it's not afraid of itself and it's a little ADD mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like right. goes from right. one thing to another hanging on for dear life but there's a logic behind it I just feel like it, 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 the one of the things I really like about James Horner especially during this period is he doesn't seem like a guy that's suffering from writer's block or like, hmm, what should the next measure be? Like, mm. there's a freedom in the writing, uh, a sort of cavalier quality to it. It's still very, you know, professional and competent and, and organized and everything's correct. But, like, there's a sort of, like, uh, I do what I want. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> totally. Yeah, uh, yeah like, uh, confidence in, 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 the, in, the, in the idea. Swagger, like, kind of, sort of. Even though this is kind of a clunky... Slightly quirky piece mm. of music, especially for back then. It's super confident, and it always attracted me to it. And there's another one of those, like a lot of these, the effect that they have on me when they're inspiring is sort of like, oh, it's always like kind of an epiphany, like oh, so you could do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it just sounds like a guy who's doing whatever he wants and nailing it. But like a, a lot of times when you hear scores it doesn't sound like the guy was doing whatever it wants. It sounds like he barely survived the con, you know, like a POW camp or something and was being tortured the whole time and made it through. And there's a score there somehow still, you know, it's, it's, it's a process. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I would imagine <laughs> you that, know. you know, all films have their stories, don't they? Of how they finally yeah. arrive at where they are. And that can't be any That's different. Right. That can't be any different for the score. I mean, that's you know, right. I can't imagine that every single film, James Horner turns up, everyone goes, yep, that's fine, James, lovely. They record it and they all go home and everybody's happy. You know, I can't imagine that, you know, that's... That's, that's right. And But this one, even though it may not have been that process, this might have been his 10th idea. Yeah. It felt like that to me when I heard it. It felt like un... It didn't feel like a committee got to this one. Mm. <laughs> well, I guess, <laughs> I mean... He, got, he, he hit a home run, right? It was either his first idea or the idea at the end when he said, okay, everyone just leave me alone. <laughs> Go away now. But I guess, you know, I mean, he was coming off the back of the Oscar for Titanic and things. I mean, he's, he's cute. You know, he was pretty well respected. Well, even before that. But, you know, you would like to think once you got to a status like that, you could do what you like, couldn't you? I don't know. Or am I, at least am for I a couple naive? of years. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, maybe I'm being naive. <laughs> but I mean, I this, school, this is one of those schools I remember listening to and thinking I'm about to get a, a speeding ticket because yeah. of this score. Oh, really? What? And it's, it's like I'm not sure it's a good, a valid, a valid excuse to a policeman. <laughs> But I'm, I'm I'm being chased by the FBI. I'm having visions. I'm counting a lot. Ah, oh, okay. It's not oh, really? It's not oh, good enough. Yeah, 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 it's not I good see. enough. But, uh, I see what you did there. Um, but I think it's also the the the, the, the natural tension in it, which even mm. though it's beautiful and it's got the female voices in it, it's still filled with tension. There's something happening. Else, something else is happening. I have to say, arriving. it's not a film I've revisited. Uh, it's not a film I've gone back to since I saw it when it came out. I don't. It's not a film that I'm drawn back to. Maybe I should go and have another look. I don't know. But, it's yeah. a hard. It's kind of a hard film to watch. Yeah. Because uh, you're just watching someone slowly go mad, and Russell. I think I, it's Russell Crowe, right? I can yeah. look in the mirror for that. I don't need to see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know it's 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 not necessary, necessarily <laughs> one you're dying to watch again. No, it doesn't strike me as that. No, but anyway. So, uh, what should we do next? Let's have. I tell you what. Let's go to the Maestro. Morricone. Yeah. Now, um, once upon a time in America, which again, I think it's quite good that we play them and then talk about them. Yeah. So we'll have a quick listen. Thank you. 
another you know another one where it's like this guy does what he wants mm. you know like what you listen to any more accounting score and it's like there's so much confidence and intention behind it and i don't know like i mean this mm. one is just strings it actually demonstrates that almost the least but like we all know his mm. something everyone knows something of his and the thing that you know of his is something really bold and now people use it try to imitate it in commercials like if there's a standoff between two people, there's an automatic score for that now. <laughs> like that he that is because of him. That's incredible. Yeah. Like mm. he owns a situation. You know, mm. <laughs> like mm. he covered that situation so well that now whenever we're in that situation, the good, the bad, and the ugly or whatever owns that situation. Yeah. Like you're almost always referencing that in some way or avoiding doing that. Like well, it like he's gotten to a point where the reference is either Danny Elfman is a little bit like this too. The reference is either we want more Coney or we want not more Coney. <laughs> it's a, a binary op, you know. It's a binary <laughs> option, and you know, it's like it's either you know, like that. Danny Elfman is. It's like either they, you know, I can't tell me the times. It's like we don't want Danny Elfman or we want Danny Elfman, but right. it's like it's one of those flavors that's like. Yeah. You think, start out by defining whether you want it or not, and then we can go to the next conversation. It's like the first question. And it's interesting because when you saw him interviewed, I mean, he did not lack for confidence, did he, at all? Morricone. No. He was very aware of his talent, and that, that's definitely reflected in the in the music. Um, and this was such a wonky, great film. Yeah. Um, the, this piece in particular for me... Um, is like a master class in sort of melodic development. It's the thing you hope to be able to do, like when you write a melody is to, that the melody feels inevitable, mm. but that you couldn't, but that you couldn't have predicted it. Yes. Like, which seems like okay. a paradox, right? But once you've heard it you're like oh of course that's what the melody is but right before you've heard the next phrase for the first time you're not sure what it's going to do well and this is it yes this is like the um what do they call it is it the aristotelian thing at the risk of sounding like an ass well the, oh, I uh, well i mean it, i think it was aristotle yeah that came up with this idea that there is the perfect version of what it is you are trying to create out there and unfortunately, it has to filter itself through you to get to the page. Yeah, right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, we and, can only mess it up. Yeah, but but the, that I think it was when I heard that the first time many years ago, I thought that perfectly describes the creative process. Is that in your mind, the perfect version is existing, and it it, it all you can almost touch it. But unfortunately, it has to go through you to come out the other end. Yeah, whenever I finish a spotting session on a film, which is the very beginning before you've written anything, I always say, well, this is the best the score will ever sound. Because, <laughs> you know, you've spent eight hours talking about what the music could be. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it's it's at its best right now. But yeah, and I, I feel like he, he did a pretty darn good job of not messing not messing with that perfection too much on this one. And the, the, the way it, it sort of unravels, like this theme unravels like you're opening a uh, like you're opening a box and then there's another box inside of it another and it just it keeps growing and growing but 
it's like but how much do you think because i mean most if they're lucky film composers are fairly prolific aren't they you know they're doing a lot of work a lot of the time yeah and you know i can't keep up with it i look at a james horner or whatever and you think well goodness look at them all look at them all you know and i can't be an expert in it in, in all of that stuff but Morricone out look at the mold the mold didn't he i mean he was so prolific do you think there was an element that actually that fed into his scores he didn't have time to muck about he just had to get in there write something beautiful and move on to the next one i don't know or is that do you think do you think that under, do you think that um does him a disservice no i i think that that may that process i mean no as in yes i agree with you that process I think when you don't have time for fear, mm. you know, you do your best work. It's really re- like writer's block or fear. It's just fear, right? Fear, fear of failure, yeah. fear, fear of being, you know, found out that you're a fake. Right? Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah, right. That's the thing that's the killer. That's the creation killer. And then when you, and that fear it starts at as, as just a sort of childish sort of insecurity paranoia, but it can be incredibly amplified when you're surrounded by people that also don't believe in you. <laughs> like someone had to hire you because they couldn't get the guy they wanted or the studio reluctantly, you know, when it's like, when not every, when everyone is not on board necessarily in the committees of people, once you get on these big blockbustery things, uh, there's almost always a, a quiet naysayer behind your back. So like the fear is actually well-founded. There are people that want, that are expecting you to fail. And, and then you have time, you know, mm. maybe you have a couple of weeks to come up with your theme, you know, and it's just, I think that navigating that territory is the thing that makes the sort of Hollywood greats really stand out, whatever is their method for it. Hans Zimmer has one method. Thomas Newman has another method. I think he's like, I don't want to see any temps. <laughs> I don't oh, think right. he's big. You know, everyone has their way of, of negotiating it. Uh, uh, John Powell, who's one of my favorite composers, he was a late bloomer. And his method was, I'll just write any scene 20, 25 times, completely new ideas, because I'm so lucky to be here. I feel like I'm learning on the job. Like he had a very big career in in ad music, and then quickly his sort of film career took off with Face Off and a couple of these movies. And so his his thing was, I'll just always do every revision revision, and and you know, and so I feel like Morricone. I'm guessing because he was in a different system, uh, and his bravado and who he is, you know, he was kind of and was able to maintain that through his career kind of like what it reminds me is kind of like Motown or something like the way they made records in Motown. Everybody was incredibly competent mm-hmm. and they came in and they just made a record one day, you know yeah. what I mean? And then uh, next record. And by the way, who's going to give him a note? Well, Morocco, well right. not, not by yeah, that not point. <laughs> and so I do kind of agree. Like there's a sort of a, there, what, I, what I think there is, is there's a purity of, of thought you know there's a there's a his and also his stuff it's not actually very layered like that this piece sounds huge if you were to look at it on the on the page 
there's nothing happening. There's a there's a low drone, you know, being played by the basses. They're holding one note, and then these strings are like playing I, it, two parts in the beginning. It's just like if you look at it, you know, the big orchestra page, everything's down at the bottom. <laughs> There's nothing right. for the okay. top two thirds of the page. And then the bottom, there's like a couple of things going on, but it's the biggest thing you ever heard. So I think that's the other thing is uh, him and John Williams and these guys that had to go fast, they also become masters of what is the bare minimum of elements that actually make something sound complete. Mm. And I think Morricone is a master of that. Like, uh, He's not scared of any weird sounds or any unusual elements, but like there aren't actually that many things going on usually in his music at any given one moment. Hmm. And uh, that's kind of bold and also maybe born out of, out of necessity. But I really, I really admire that as opposed to like a John Williams or even a Thomas, or not John Williams, Danny Elfman or Hans Zimmer or Thomas Newman those guys have actually so many layers. I mean, I, Danny Elfman is probably the craziest you, you would, you could mute like 75 of the tracks and then you'd have just a completely different piece of music that would also be good. Right. So I, I think that's for me, just like being able to cook a great meal with four or five ingredients that just makes you, your mouth water and you, you cry. That's his specialty. And yeah. that, that's, that's brilliant. And that's very Italian. I feel like.
I mean, the sense of an alien, pre- the sense of an alien presence in that music is palpable, isn't it? It's unbelievable. You know, um, it's uh, Jonas Johansson and his score for Arrival, who is a big loss. I think we've, we're missing out on a lot of yeah. stuff there. But this one particularly is, uh, yeah, quite something. What I like about Johan is, uh, you know, R.I.P. is um, he can write this, but he could also write something very much in that style of that beautiful mind, uh, like if theory of everything. Yes, you very, know, very that, that score yeah. is living in that space, you know, in a kind of desplat space, you know, like. Totally, yeah. He's very, very happy there too, and 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 writing beautiful stuff. So he's he's a very difficult one to choose one score from, because and he's someone that I really admire because I I actually fancy myself that way too. Like I I'm not a sort of a one sound. Some of my favorite composers are are pretty one vibey, like Trent Reznor and and. Hmm. you know other guy although he's always trying to stretch but you know like you know you're getting you know like that or even thomas newman like oh that's a thomas newman score you can hear it uh i i kind of i i'm always trying to find new things and new ways of doing things and i don't even like a lot lot of my composer friends in, in this electronic world that we live in they they hit a button when they come to work and this giant template with a thousand tracks opens up and every sound is at their fingertips when I open up and I start on a new score, there's there's nothing there. Like it's blank. And then I start making stuff and then it snowballs over time. By the time I get to the end of the process, I do have this unwieldy thing that, you know, it's that has to do with that score. But I don't really like I don't really like starting with the same palette or anything like that. And I I can definitely tell Johan is always was always pushing himself and and this one also the idea that within 20 seconds or 15 seconds of listening to something, the entire world of that film is established. I mean, this is like a perfect example of that. And mm. he's doing it with very little, you know? Yeah. The, it, what, what, what is it, it just a, a mic, just a voice and a... Could be a voice. I mean, half the time I have no idea how he's making these sounds. Uh, the drone sounds to me like it's made out of metal, actually which is when you slow it down and smear it metal has so much interesting colors to it. Like the sound of hitting a symbol. Mm-hmm. If you were to take the part after you hit the symbol, not the hitting it part and stretch that a thousand times. So that in that one instant that could last for 10 minutes. That's how you get a that's sound. Awesome. That's how you get a sound like that drone. Uh, doesn't mean that's how he got it, but that's one way to get it. Like this, he, you know, he'll, He's really good with manipulate was with manipulating stuff. Mm. Um, the the other you know the other thing for me about this score as it applies in the film is you know the sort of for mo- it's a monster movie right let's be, right mm-hmm. what's a monster movie right and you know when do you get to see the monster is always the big question in any monster movie and I think that also applies to the score. Oh, absolutely. Like when, and and I think he's a, a masterful job of when do the when do these creepy sounds, when are they allowed to enter, and when does he take it up a notch? And it's very easy when you're living in a world like this to just like in the first ten minutes of the movie show everything, show all your cards musically, and then like, oh, now what do I do? 
So it's like the restraint okay. in this minimalistic approach to understand, you know, almost like a great EDM track where they somehow know, okay, if everyone is on ecstasy, this is the moment where they're going to get bored. So I have to change something right here, but not before that moment will I change anything. I feel like that aesthetic of knowing when to bring in the next thing you know, not just in a piece of music, but on the on a whole scale of a film. Mm. I think, you know, he was really a master of that. Another great example of him nailing that is Sicario. Like Sicario mm -hmm. gets used as a temp a lot as his driving sort of primal drum beat and these mm -hmm. weird orchestral effects. But if you watch the film, it takes a while before that comes in. I mean, I, like I, I, I can't say for certain, but I would say definitely past the halfway mark. Yeah, um, I seem to remember the real driving stuff comes literally with the bit of the um, where they go over the border and drive that. It's um, late, right? Convoy. Yeah, that's it's, quite I feel late. Like it's kind of late in the film, and that that sort of I find that very admirable because that's a hard to to keep in your brain and do right, and it's also hard to. Uh, or challenging to convince the people that you're working with <laughs> that that's right. how you know like it that shows to me not only a successful sort of a creative approach but maybe also that might have taken some convincing or who knows maybe he was going nuts and that we yeah. all the credit goes to the director you know what i mean but, but clearly... however the process was it, it came out right and um that level of like sort of discipline and 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 patience and watching how things unfold. Mm. I think that's one of the things that makes a master film composer. Again, Hans is a master of that as well. Like he knows when to go big, when to go small. And it's not always where you think mm -hmm. sometimes it's opposite, you know, he clearly has a good relationship or had a good relationship with Villeneuve and understood. Yeah. And they kind of obviously understood because actually his score for uh, Prisoners is beautiful. Mm. It's a yeah. beautiful score. Incredible. There's a cue Incredible. on that. I think it's called Snow Falling or something, which is just just wonderful. Not not Nothing like this other stuff, you know, not, nothing like Arrival. Or, um, if it's a talk about temp, yes. temp music, I think that may have been uh, Scott scored a series for us, Cold Case Files. I think it may have been the first one All you, right. did, you did for us. And that was our temp score was what, Prisoners. From Prisoners, yeah. That's right. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, if we're really no, bad, I love it. give you a temp score. What I a, love it. What a great, I love but the right, challenge. Yeah, yeah, but similarly to, to your point about challenge, that's the arrival. I will sometimes put on a timeline to challenge myself to try and cut a scene worthy of that score, to try and cut something that would be yeah. a little less expected. Yeah, the rhythms are not obvious in that, right. are they? Let's mm -hmm. let's be honest. To this, certainly to somebody like me, the you know absolute idiot, you know, I, I yeah, the rhythms are not. Uh, <laughs> Not apparently obvious, but um, yes. Well, it's nice. The nice the Mogwai had uh, grew up and was able to do vocals on something else. The Mogwai, oh Mogwai, Mogwai's a band, <laughs> isn't it? The Gremlin, Gremlin is that Gremlins? Yeah. <laughs> Mogwai, that's a band, isn't it? Mogwai. Well, yeah. It probably is now, but that's it's a Gremlin. I tell you it's what, we Gremlins do. Be, it's a Gremlins <laughs> before water. <laughs> so we're running at about just over an hour now so by the time i cut the music in we're going to be getting to about an hour and a half which is more than any human man person woman needs to <laughs> listen to our voices um so i tell you what why i mean because the point is about this isn't it scott that if you start to pick your 
favorite scores it can go on forever it just literally yeah. can go on forever and the beauty of them is that um and phil and i talk about this a lot is that um when uh, certainly when i was young and it was the same for phil the only way to own any part of the film was the film score because mm. you, you know i couldn't buy videos they didn't exist <laughs> that's how old i yeah. am you couldn't get the vhs of a film the only way you could own a film was on either 16 millimeter impossible or super eight and they were like 500 pounds for a feature was the only way you could you know what's that that's wow. six seven hundred dollars to cut for a feature so the only way to own a film uh, to have a, a, a remembrance of the film was to own the score uh, uh, or to buy the record and uh you know so um what's the point i'm making about that so they're very important to us which is why we wanted to do all this and talk to you and it's been brilliant brilliant talking to you about this i could do it all day really great to be honest you know really great um and the insight as well that you've given given me certainly because you know as a as a as a just a fan that's all i am i'm not you know i'm nothing other than that um so i thought what we do is we finish on um gabriel yarrod score for um, great for uh the talented mr ripley and um what why did you pick this one as opposed to say the one that everybody probably knows slightly better english patient the english patient which is also very beautiful <laughs> Um, a couple of reasons. One, I just know this score better. You know, I've seen the English patient once or twice, but I've seen, I keep coming. This is a movie I keep coming back and watching over and over again, maybe every five years. And I watch it to go, is it really as good as I remember? <laughs> and every time I go, yep, yep. I okay. love this movie. It's, it's just, it's a brilliant film. And then for me, the thing that the score does, we keep coming back to this, like establishing a world. In, in a piece of music. I love films where the tone is very complicated. American Beauty is a great example, right? As a complicated tone where you have, and the music is a huge part in nailing that tone. And this is a complicated film tonally because we're essentially rooting for a con man for a good part of the film. Hmm. You know, eventually, you know, depending on <laughs> your own personality, wherever that stops for you, you know, maybe it doesn't, but, right. and that, you know, when the bad guy is the good guy and, and, and this, and then this sort of uh, like frolicking on the beaches of Europe and, and, and decadence mixed with, you know, psychological trauma and, you know, I just, this, all the, the bucket of stuff that the, the ingredients that are in the film, they're all here in the music. And yeah, I am a little partial to things that are jazzy, of course. Mm. And maybe jazz, maybe jazz lends itself to sort of some of these more sophisticated vocabularies, at least from my perspective, because there's more notes to choose from in jazz. Things get more complex and, and, and they stack up more than they do in other sort of uh, styles. But, but I'll be honest, I, I, I hadn't heard great this melody. Yeah, I hadn't heard it for a long, 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 long time. I, it's a film I don't go back to. And I've been playing yeah. this playlist all day because obviously you're on, on LA time, I'm on London time, and I've had all day to listen to this. And I, that's, the one, that's the one I went, oh, my goodness, how have I not been going back to that? Because it's just, it's just wonderful. It really is. It's an it's an incredible piece of music that 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 particular theme, and um, 
again, this is one of those ones for me that it, it ticks all the boxes. You know, like it's 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 it composing wise, it's very virtuosic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's it, it's also a guy that's doing what he want, a guy or a gal that's doing exactly what they want to do, but not be, not because he only had ten minutes to do it. <laughs> sat around a long time and still did exactly you know what i mean yeah 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 similar to catch me if you can this has a level of sophistication and you know like he stuck the landing style points you know gymnast i don't know i'm coming to like gymnastic and ice skating but but, you know like (laughs) even the even the choice of outfit was good in the routine you know it's just like i just all the tens go up for me on however you want to judge a score memorable uh, taking you to the place, uh, evocative, uh, original, uh, complex, but for the, all for the right reasons. I was just looking at his other scores, English Patient, Map of the Human Heart, um, yeah, Possession, wow. Uh, oh, Troy. Troy. That sounded like a yeah. very um, a very uh, Hans Zimmery type thing. If you'd ask me who composed the music for Troy, I'd say Hans Zimmer. That's what, that shows you how much I know. Well, that's the old temp scores. That's the that's, yeah. You think that's I, I don't know anything about the process, but if no. I had to guess, well, it had the voices. Yeah, the gladiator was it had the gladiatory. Yeah, we we did have to put up with a lot of um, uh, elegiac voices, didn't we, over that period? Yeah, uh, uh, lifting us to heaven. But uh, okay, so we'll we'll play out with the with the Ripley music. But thank you, Scott. It's absolutely fantastic. Thank you for thank your you time. Thank you so much. You know, I mean, so like I say, we could have done this all day. I know. <laughs> but, um, really great. Thank you, but guys. But I've, I've got to, um, I'm now going to go and watch Brighton lose to Fulham. Now, that's a very English Ooh. thing to do. <laughs> <laughs>